Hello and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, the number one comics podcast on AIPTcomics.com. I'm David Brooke and I have a co-host here Good on the other side of the country. Good morning, America. <laughs> My name is Forrest with two R's. You are. I'm excited to talk about comics. I'm excited to talk about many things this week, yes. actually. Yes. Um, hey, yeah. take some time, take a breather, especially if you're listening to this on Sunday, the day we usually put these out. It was a long week. Sure was. I know you were refreshing CNN, NPR, 538, NYT, PBS, whatever you were refreshing. I think even Nickelodeon <laughs> was keeping track of our politics this week. So, hey, take a break. Take a break. Take a breather. Drink if you drink. Smoke if you smoke. Go on a jog if you don't. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, on Saturday at 1130-ish a.m. Eastern Time. Joe Biden was named president-elect by almost, I think, every news outlet. Pretty much every major American news outlet. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think the, especially the comics uh, communities out there, but uh, uh, the whole world is cheering uh, over this news. Yeah. Dave, you wrote up a fantastic article celebrating um, various artists and creators' reactions to the news. Yeah, that was a fun one. AIPTcomics.com. It's it, it, some people got silly. Like uh, G Willow Wilson posted a Ninja Turtles gif of a Ninja <laughs> Turtle slam dunking, whereas like people like uh, James Tynan basically just tweeted "few," <laughs> like yeah, Whew. yeah. And I mean a lot. Of, I think every single one of these tweets from creators, writers, and artists across the board, um, just showing how relieved we all are over this news. Yeah, and not to make you know light of it. Obviously, it's important that we defeat fascism, and it's important that the American people voice their right, express their right, voted their right, and defeated fascism in the form of Donald Trump. But I do have to say, I'm not terribly excited about a Biden presidency. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, even my fourth pick, maybe, right. of, of the candidates. But um, I, I'm going to vibe for at least this weekend, and then we can get to the work. I understand that the Biden presidency is not going to get avowed leftists, leftists as far left as I am, any ground unless we take it. I get it. But also I saw a meme of Joe Biden as CM Punk winning the title from John (laughs) Cena. Uh And I'm going to hold on to that for just a little bit. That's funny. I also hope that maybe creators just feel a little bit of relief and we can get some real good comics, some real good stories out of this. So this is the Comic Book Podcast where we're going to be recapping the best and biggest news of the week. We're going to be reviewing our favorite comics of the week. And we also have special guest Ryan Parrott on to talk about Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers, two brand new series at Boom Studios. Mighty Morphin number one came out this week. Power Rangers number one comes out next week. He is the mastermind behind this duo series um, which with two different Power Rangers books and two different Power Ranger teams. Uh, we get into um, you know writing Power Rangers, of course, but also... Um, his process, and uh, we have a little fun as we pit both teams against each other in a super fight, but I won't tell you how. It's rather ridiculous. But before we get to that interview later in the show, we're going to talk about the news. So, election week, very light on news, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah, almost no news here. Pretty sure that every publisher was like, let's just hold those golden nuggets for the week after or until a president is uh, selected. I will preface this by saying this is the best we could find. I looked for actually quite a while last night and this was the best we had. Honestly, dude, like I'm writing up press releases and relatively big news at least twice a day. And this week there were like three days straight of nothing. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. So in the top bit of news, uh, Marvel Comics publisher John Nee has been reportedly let go after 22 months on the job. 
Um, this was reported by comicbook.com and then re-reported by Newsarama. Um, so yeah, so relieving your publisher is kind of a big deal, especially yes, at a big publisher like Marvel. It also comes with the caveat that Nee was among those furloughed earlier in the year by parent company Disney. Yeah. Um, which I don't think that I remember. I'm kind no. of surprised by that. It's an interesting move. Right. Um, it's unclear if his reported departure is part of the layoffs Disney announced recently. Um, however, comicbook.com also reports that media Marvel new media producer Judy Stevens has announced that she's no longer with the company, but it was also unclear if that was part of cuts or, you know, if their employees are taking buyouts or they're leaving of their own volition during a time where Disney and Marvel are internally restructuring. At this stage, we just don't really know. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar to the layoffs that happened with DC a couple of months ago, where it's very nebulous. We don't know the reasons why um, both are seem to be tied to their parent companies, AT&T and Disney in this case. But I personally feel a little uncomfortable speculating about why people are losing their jobs or people losing their livelihoods without more news, without more um, sources. Right, and insight, maybe even speaking yeah. to Nee himself. Comment. I mean, yeah. Nee has a lot of experience. He was an executive vice president at DC. He uh, worked at Wildstorm as president. Um, created companies like Cryptozoic Entertainment, Hex Entertainment. He actually won an Inkpot Award at San Diego Comic-Con 2019. Uh, clearly has a lot of experience, so probably end up somewhere else soon. Yep. But, you know, yep. maybe this is a sign Marvel just wants to shake things up and change the, changing the, the publisher is a good place to start. Um, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. As we just I saw mean, with it's... IDW a few, a few months ago. Hey, get Ike out of there. <laughs> yeah, that well, would that would also be helpful. And next up in their news, Scout Comics has announced Hench Girl is set for a live action TV series. Uh, this is going to be set up at Disney and Freeform. I think Freeform is like a European. If I'm Freeform not mistaken. is the uh, cable company that had the Cloak and Dagger show. Oh, okay. Freeform yeah, so they TV. have their own like channel kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah, um, Scout Comics, uh, relatively new indie publisher. Uh, they only put out. Uh, a couple books uh, a year. Actually, I was reading a press release from them just yesterday about how they've they're changing their uh, release. This is completely unrelated, but they're changing their release model where they're going to release one book, uh, one new issue, like a number one issue of a new series, and then wait two months and then release the second issue because of the pandemic and because they want to allow the comic stores to, uh, more time to find readers for each new series before they kick off into hmm. the, into the book. That's kind Interesting. of a, Isn't it? I thought it was I thought you it, were going to say that they were going to release one issue and then see if they get a TV deal <laughs> and then release another issue. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, that could be part of it. I mean, Scout just a couple weeks ago revealed that they're partnering with a a movie studio type thing to get more of their their uh, original content into other avenues like TV like Hench Girl here. It is cool to see smaller indies like this score deals like this. It will probably only help them in the long run. Like creators with um, big names might want to try Scout because they know they have like an inside track to making a movie or a TV show. Who knows? I mean, I think that that's, I don't want to equate the two publishers, but I do think that's the kind of approach that like bad idea is taking. Right. Right. Where it's like, hey, just be aware that we are going to source this IP to other mediums if we can. Which isn't a bad thing for creators, especially no. if you're cognizant of reviewing a, a contract and making sure that you're getting the proceeds that you should and that you retain the rights that you should. Yeah, if it's a fair deal, that's great for everyone. Right, right. 
in the unfortunate case of, of some publishers over the over the years, of course they they're almost using creators to farm out this mm-hmm. IP and then they make the money and the creator makes yeah. almost nothing. I mean, famously, John R. Cuddy made like no money from the Hellboy movies. Right, right. Despite kind of spearheading the entire BPRD line. Right. And various Hellboy tie-ins for a long time. And that newer Hellboy movie, damn, it really, it took from the comics a lot. Yep. Speaking of comics, this is a comic book podcast, so we're going to talk about comics. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of comics, uh, if you read X-Men Monday, it's every week. It's actually not out this upcoming Monday, but it is almost every single week um, in the latest edition. 82. 82. In the latest edition, Jordan D. White, uh, senior editor, X-Men editor, uh, let it be known that in Ten of Swords Stasis, number one, there's a reference to a certain character called Mr. M, a.k.a. Mercator, and a District X series. Someone asked um, Jordan, you know, if there is an entire realm that has somehow been influenced by this mutant character. And I wrote up a little bit of a news on this because I have never heard of Mr. M. Didn't even know District X was a thing back in 2004. Now I've heard of District 9. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're that's telling me pretty that good movie. these these prawn things are in the comics too. <laughs> Not get quite. them out of there. It's worth noting that first of all, Ten of Swords um, has stasis in particular has basically opened up this idea that there are many different dimensions or realities with amazing fantastical cre- uh, creations and characters, and in one of them. In the, uh, an early scene in the issue, we find out there is, is this mysterious group that almost no one knows about and that never speaks at these hearings that, um, uh, what's her name? Saturnine? There you go. Saturnine. It was like, y'all, if you don't talk at these meetings, we're not allowed to come. And they are known as the, um, the Merc- Mercator. And so anyway, Jordan White, in sort of vague way, confirms that these people are somehow connected to Mr. M. And Mr. M is an Omega-level mutant. Last we saw was killed. Uh, but this guy can literally turn energy into matter and matter into energy. He can pretty much be like a godlike figure. Just like gold balls. <laughs> yeah. It's more like a Proteus power, but yeah. It, it kind of shakes things up in a big way. I mean, it's interesting. In the, in the middle of your event, you start introducing these god tier level characters that could potentially be an event in themselves that's a pretty bold move there i mean i think that that's a lot of what hawks and pox did mm-hmm. we haven't seen the technarchy right again we haven't seen uh, quite a bit quite a bit of there are quite a few threads in hawks and pox that have not been picked up on again i also remember the first time that we interviewed jordan d white after they had announced hawks and pox on the show he said that Hickman had pitched a plan that would last like 50 years of X-Men stories. Mm-hmm. So to make those threats seem credible and stuff, you do need to establish them narratively. Right. Because if all of a sudden you have an issue where, you know, Sauron comes back and no one has ever mentioned Sauron <laughs> right. in any of the X-Books before that, you would be frustrated by that. I will also say that I'm frustrated by the pedantry. Mm-hmm. It's all canon. Right. Yeah. Any and, writer can pick anything out of the toy box whenever they want. And there doesn't need to be narrative justification aside from the fact that it's going to make a good comic, I don't think. Right. And I mean, whether or not we see these characters again in the future remains to be seen, of course. But it's always exciting to layer things in for, for right. years to yeah. come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the idea is like, if you really like, what's that character's name? Exploding Boy? Yeah. Whose mutant power is that he explodes one time. Right. 
keep keep alive the idea that sometime he'll show up. Sure. If you really liked this comic book I've never heard of, District X or the Mr. M, keep keep hope alive. There are plenty of creators that have read entire the entirety of a run before they start writing, and yes, they are aware of those characters, and they might bring them back sometime for you. It's basically like put having you know tools, and you put those in your back pocket, and you wait. Right. Right. Wait for the right time to re- reveal them. Mm-hmm. Speaking of revealing them, Marvel Comics announced new King and Black tie-in one shots this week, including King and Black Wiccan and Hulkling and King and Black Captain America. So this is kind of cool in that. Marvel's basically giving pretty indie, well, in, in the case of Captain America, an indie creative team a chance to do a one-shot Captain America story. Uh, and, and that is by Danny Lore and Mirko Kolak. And the most interesting thing about this one-shot, and I can't say how, I mean, it's hard to be interested in this at this point because we don't even know really what's going on in King of Black. But in this uh, preview, it says that there's like a dark a darkness in, in uh, uh, Steve Rogers that he's trying to kick and it's like creeping up on him. And what does that mean? His codex. Yeah, could be. Yeah, and it's I mean, like probably. infiltrating him. I saw someone comment on on the tweet on AIPT's tweet about this. Like it's like Hitler or something. <laughs> it's oh, it's like Red Skull. Yeah, okay. or like that's an interesting take. No, I'm pretty sure it has to be. <laughs> I mean, anyone that has ever worn a symbiote or bonded with a symbiote has a codex in their spinal column. Right. That's that Carnage was seeking, and then also Noel can activate. So let's go with that and not Hitler. <laughs> I mean, for those historical buffs out there, they really want that, though. <laughs> right. In right. the uh, Wiccan and Hulkling one, we've got Teeny Howard and Luciano Vecchio uh, collabing on a uh, exciting. I think this is a little bit more exciting in that we all want to see Hulkling and and, and Wiccan once again since uh, post Empire. Yeah. Since they just got married. Yeah. The last time we yeah. saw them. Um, I'm pretty excited by this. I will use it as a point of comparison to say that Death Metal and all of its various numerous tie-ins are by creators that are very established mm-hmm. um, or creators that are friends with Snyder. And there's a little bit of that happening with King and Black. I mean, I know that Donny Cates is friends with Clay McLeod Chapman and Frank Thierry and some of those other creators that I necessarily wouldn't give a tie-in book. Mm-hmm. that are getting them, you know, because they worked on various other properties Donnie's worked on or et cetera, et cetera. But also I think Marvel's really trying a lot of like interesting stuff with King and Black of all mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. oversized one shots and getting Cy Spurrier to write Black Knight and, you know, those sorts of things. It's really, really interesting. And also they're reaching out to indie level creators who maybe it's like a tryout. Right. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But but getting to write Captain America is a heck of a tryout. <laughs> so it is. I think it, I think it's cool, and I think it's what I had hoped for when I had learned that Scott Snyder was writing or teaching classes and leading other creators into the industry and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he kind of and DC, I guess, tends to give work to creators that are at or near Snyder's level rather than trying things. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is really cool and really fun. And hey, it's a pointless symbiote event anyway. Yeah. So just have fun. This kind of reminds me of how they gave um, Alex Pacnadel a uh, Empire one shot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's really cool, especially from a big two company. I think because it's if you think if you think back to other events like War of the Realms, it's not like they were giving one shots just as anybody. Right. Yeah. I, I I mean that this is the first time Marvel has done something like this in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very excited by the possibility as our resident Venom expert. 
<laughs> you should put that on your uh, your bio on AFPT. <laughs> I put it on my resume. <laughs> yeah, there you go. In our next bit of news, Newsarama had a couple scoops uh, centered around DC Future State, the upcoming DC event. Not the next event though, because there's a <laughs> there's that whole winter one in December. Oh, you're right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, DC Future State, which starts in Jan- end of January. Um, couple interesting scoops things you probably could have guessed at one of which is basically confirmed by the uh, batman uh, editor that james tynan is definitely going to be staying on batman and not only that but his fingerprints are all over future state it's quoted on uh, the news yeah I, I get the sense that he's actually locking into a more coherent story for batman now right yeah because it has they felt have like committed that. to giving him something more solid and that's great i think he's a fantastic writer Oh yeah, um, I yeah, mean, Department sure. of Truth is my favorite comic of the year as of right now. So, he also said in his newsletter that Future State is meant to be a glimpse into the possible future of the DCU. It's filled with a lot of Easter eggs that will hint at, but not bind, the direction of the line moving forward. Which I will piggyback off of what I was saying about District X and Mister M. Everything's canon. You can <laughs> yeah. write about whatever you want. Don't make it the rules. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you try all these things out, it's the same with DC 1 million. Right. Try all these things out in Future State, and if one of them sticks, or if fans really like them, fuck, give them a book. Make Gwen, a, make Gwen part of Spider-Verse, you know? People need to chill. I mean, even your favorite story might be written out of canon in 10 years. <laughs> right, and then it will be canon again. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't right. matter. I think Future State, it seems like they're all very excited by future state to act as a kind of future slate oh boy for their ideas <laughs> and the ones that stick i think they have a good place in dc yeah for especially sure. with an entirely new editorial team directing things right yeah and a lot of different creative teams we've never seen before yeah it's time DC. for a new new 52 oh no don't call it that <laughs> <laughs> I, I i mean the idea could you imagine the... it's the new new <laughs> super duper new it's 52. 104 there you go. It's double the excitement. Uh, I'm excited about the uh, the, the t- Tynan news just because um, I've reviewed a couple Batman issues of late. I actually reviewed the issue this week. And, like, he's very good at economically putting in a lot of stuff into every issue. Like, there are some comic book creators out there that, you know, it's still entertaining, but it's like you only get, like, one plot. Whereas he's sure. dumping in a lot. So, like, by the end, I'm yeah. like, oh, this is entertaining. So, yeah, he's, he's able to, like, mix a lot of subplots in, into uh, the main mix. So I'm excited about that. And also in DC Future State news, it has been 100% proven at this point now that Generations is nothing to do with DC Future State. And uh, they interviewed Dan Jurgens, who basically said they were going to tie Future State into Generations, which is the 5G Dan Didio supposed complete reboot of DC Comics. But they no longer will be doing that. Uh, Jurgens is still going ahead with his Generations story, but it's its own thing. And similar to what you just said, Forrest, Enjoy it. Don't enjoy it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. It'll Move all come on. back around. I will say I'm very excited by Superman Worlds of War, mm. a future state title that features an incredibly horny Superman design That's where he is wearing black leather trunks and has a Superman logo chained to his chest <laughs> with chains wrapped around his hands. He also has a dog collar. Whoa. Uh, shout out Cody Rhodes. It's very sexually charged. And I like it. That's the one, um, is that the one drawn by Mikhail Janin? It is, right? It could be. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. That dude's just getting better and better. Mm, Superman, you mean? I agree. <laughs> Janin, I didn't mean Janin. This is working for me. You know what's not fun? Art Thieves. 
Yeah. <laughs> Didn't see I'm that like, coming. Yeah. Did you yeah. know it's not fun? Crime. <laughs> Batman knows. So, yeah, no, this is actually very sad news. Um, John Buscema's daughter, Diane, uh, reported on, um, I think, what was it, Thursday? Or was it Wednesday? It was one of the days of this week um, that 45 pieces of her, of her father's art was stolen from her. And uh, Walter Simonson went on his Facebook and Twitter and uh, let the world know this happened. And uh, for art uh, dealers, as well as people on eBay, to be on the lookout for the art. And he actually posted all of the art on his Facebook page um, that was taken, uh, which included some impressive Conan the Barbarian pieces, some Silver Surfer pieces. There's actually one piece. Um, I'm not sure which comic it's from, but on it, it's written by Stan Lee, make it like Superman. <laughs> which I think was pretty awesome. Hopefully they find this art and, um, yeah, find these art thieves because this is this is no bueno. This is not a good thing, folks. Yeah, this is a big bummer. So, yeah, I highly recommend you check out... If you go to AIPT, there's an article about it. You can find the Facebook post. Uh, just become familiar with some of the art if you are in those circles where you would buy art because you don't want to be that person who accidentally spends a lot of money on something like this and is duped by the art thieves. Mm-hmm. Anywho, moving on to our top books of the week. We're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week. Forrest, what was your second favorite book? My second favorite book was Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, which is a new anthology Wolverine series in the same vein as Harley Quinn's Black, White, and Red from DC, which I was a big fan of. Um, That was when they were doing those digital first stories. Have they stopped yeah. doing those? I think they have another one on the way, but it's been okay. a bit since one. It kind since of slowed down. Yeah. Um, this one features three stories, Cabin Fever, which is written and drawn by Declan Chalvey, I Shall Be a Wolf, written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Joshua Cassara, and The Beasts Within Them, written by Gary Duggan, with art by Adam Kubert. Uh, I mostly want to say, I didn't necessarily love the narrative in any of these stories. Mm-hmm. Chalvey's is probably the strongest. The art is awesome. So good. Like, I get that you can take Wolverine and you can take Weapon X, and that's already a a satisfying visual but they really got some artists that are really interested in making logan and wolverine and some of those very very tried and true and tired visuals work again especially adam kubert that entire story takes place in the snow it's a weapon x story um but he does these really interesting things where he gives a faint red painterly watercolorly aspect to a lot of the snow and the foliage and stuff Mm-hmm. And then also a lot of really cool things cutting between dialogue and action. A lot of really, really good panel design and layout. Um, I think Kubert is one of the best artists working at Marvel today. So it's a delight just to revel in the visual storytelling at the very least. Would you put, I think I would put Adam Kubert as top three superhero comic artists ever. Is that crazy? Uh, I would probably get to him in top ten. Mm, yeah, I mean, top you got to have maybe. Kirby in there. That's he's yeah, definitely in the top three. Right. It's so subjective, but I will it say is. that there's nothing subjective about the badassery in this book. It's crazy. Yeah, good looks, good looks, everyone. I got a question for you. So we've got a Harley book that's black, white, and red. We got now we have a Wolverine that's black, white, and red. What if okay, if they were to do another color, black, white, and what would it be, and what character would it be first? Oh well, my immediate thought was red and you do blade no it has to be a different color than red i get i got to yeah but that's a good one i like that uh, that's a good idea i don't know why but my brain keeps saying yellow and i don't want to say black white and yellow <laughs> daredevil oh yeah that'd be a, oh that reminds me of the jeff Loeb. um right spider-man blue yeah daredevil yellow yeah i forgot about that yeah, yeah, yeah. hulk gray 
Mm. Yeah. Black, white, and gray. A new Hulk series. <laughs> Actually, that sounds pretty good. Black, white, and gray sounds pretty good. It, it does. It gray does. Hulk. Black, Chains white, and green. green. Who would that be? Oh, yeah, Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. Of course. I just, I just want Hulk to keep happening after Immortal Hulk. Hmm. Black, white, and is Cheyenne a color? <laughs> I, I guess, kind of. Probably. There's like every word in the uh, uh, dictionary. Yeah, probably. Is a color. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my second favorite book of the week was The Dreaming Waking Hours number four by G. Willow Wilson and Nick Robles. This series has been tops for me every single issue. It has basically become a respite from the pandemic and from the election because its characters are so rich and you just want to hang out with them on these crazy adventures. It, it juggles three different plots and they're kind of all converging at this point and four issues in. Um, it's a really amazing Sandman universe series. It feels like it's its own thing, and yet it's tying in really well, and it's doing it in a slower pace. So it's not like hammering home, like, hey, remember this character from this book? It's doing its own thing with its own characters right up the, uh, at the beginning, and it's, it's building really well. And Robles is, is amazing. His ability to change up his styles mid-issue is just in, intense. I mean, there are these nightmares that uh, Dream is interacting with at one point, not in this issue, but in previous issues, where it's just like, shockingly different the style um so yeah visuals to story the book is just really rich and and, and enjoyable on on, on a, diff a couple different levels that you just can't get in most comics but i mean that's that's the sandman universe it's kind of always done that yeah i'm i'm curious to see if all of this is building to being integrated in the dc mainline um we've talked about that at length at this point um and i will say i hope that it is because like having creators like g willow wilson and nick robles on to do that kind of integration or an event like that. Yeah. How could you pass that up? Yeah, for sure. Every This is the most beautiful book that comes out the week. It comes out every week. You know, it's funny when you said that. I, th I was thinking about, remember when San, uh, or the, the, a Dream uh, was behind Batman in Metal? Do you remember that? At yeah. The end of the issue? Yeah. What, did, nothing came of that, right? Nothing has come of any of it. <laughs> nothing or, has come of any of it. What came of Doomsday Clock? None of it. Yeah, remember when Batman what found the happened? button in in the Batcave? What happened? Those are things. Okay, I know. I know. Earlier, you said just you know enjoy it or not, but those are things that I'm like, where are the answers, folks? Give me those answers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Sure, I can't let sure, it go. Yeah, I think it will be a hell of an interview in like three years, Dan Didio oh, yeah. or someone else. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. What was your favorite book of the week? My favorite book of the week uh, should come as no surprise. It is that Texas Blood number five. Uh, this is written by Chris Condon with art by Jacob Phillips. This issue, um, the first since the first issue, to kind of play around with the supernatural visual and narrative elements that have been, I think, teased in the book, but not necessarily explored. Um, and it's all metaphorical, I will say. Um, mm -hmm. It's not actually happening. But uh, the main character here is trying to discover who killed his brother and to um, kind of issue some justice or dispense some retribution. And um, he does a bad in this issue. Mm. Um, and they do a very interesting back and forth where the police officers on the case establish that the person that this, the main character is killing is not the one that killed his brother. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's very narratively rich and kind of heartbreaking and sad at the same time to watch a character kind of descend, you know, um, and it's literally and figuratively, I mean, he's literally keeping the guy down in his basement and trying to murder him. 
but also they keep cutting to scenes where the main character is sinking into this vast expanse of red blood. Um, and I just, I, I'm really, really on with the way that they are choosing to express the human condition and guilt and trauma and those sorts of things through big abstract images in what is a very gritty down to earth crime drama. It reminds me a little bit of true detective Mm -hmm. um, in that, like there's big signs that mean other things um, or at least that there's the opportunity for characters in the narrative to read into them. I will say that this is one of the first books um, in the style of what Ed Brubaker does with the criminal series. This is, the first or one of the first to come out as single issues. And I kind of feel like I get why they're doing trade for those mm -hmm. stories, because I was a little confused about who one of the characters was, who two of the characters were actually at the beginning of this issue, um, just because of the, the release schedule for the book and nothing else. Right. It, it, it will probably read better in trade, but as a reader who's too invested now to wait for the trade, Mm -hmm. It's still working for me. Yeah, there's one more issue, but the solicit for issue six says uh, a brother's conscious storyline ends here. Storyline ends here, which makes me think it might continue. Well, I think that that um, they are playing around with the idea of there being that text, uh, t that Texas blood universe. Mm -hmm. Kind of how all the Ed Brubaker books are loosely tied together as well. Right. Um, and I think that this may continue as some sort of anthology title. Maybe they'll do another weird noir, weird Texas horror crime story or something. You know, like if you get the signposts for what that Texas blood is supposed to be, you can tell a lot of stories. Right. Whether right, or not right. they feature the same characters. It's kind of exciting when it shifts even like the title, but it's in the same universe too. Yeah. 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 I mean, I really like the Fargo show. And <sighs> I still need to watch that. Exactly what Fargo is doing. Yeah, true. Nice pick. My favorite comic of the week was Marauders number 14 by Jerry Dugan and Stefano Casali. Uh, if you like X-Men, or if you're a traditionalist as far as X-Men, or Claremont's X-Men, you really like characters. And this issue gets characters. It all takes place... Um, so the X-Men and the Araco uh, folks that are entering Ten of Swords to fight our favorite X-Men are all joining for a, a dinner, a meal. Uh, it's a precursor to the actual fights that will be taking place soon in the series. And so they basically are all kind of like letting their hair, hair down and having a few drinks and sizing each other up is basically what Marauders number 14 is. So it is like the creme de la creme of like characters, you know, talking about other characters in a scene or talking to other characters they've never talked to before, including Bogger Pog, who gets a couple sweet lines in there. And uh, so, yeah, it's just highly enjoyable character drama and it all leads to an insane cliffhanger, which we will only learn what hell, what the hell happens next week. Um, Dugan's writing some exceptional dialogue across the characters as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You really get a sense of like who they are from what they say. And Casali is really good at this kind of heavy dialogue drama in of characters just standing in a room you know f moving the, the 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 i want to say camera around in each panel so you get a, a sense of like the intensity of, of of a word set if we cut to a close-up of a storm or whatever like that so you know it's interesting like people are like oh superhero comics or fight comics well comics like this where there isn't any fighting but talking it is a fight in a sense right it's like the best dialogue it's 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 a back and forth and it's a 
it, people are getting in uh, knocks or, or in subtle ways or in clever ways, and, and you see that in this issue. Tennisaur, it's good series so far. A uh, controversial statement. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good. Especially given that we really didn't know what was going to be happening, even in the lead-in. They've mm-hmm. done a great job of making people invested and making a story that feels worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of stories that are worthwhile, in our next segment, Top Books for Next Week, we're going <laughs> to pick our number one book we're looking forward to out next week. I, can I go first? I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm going to pick American Vampire 1976, number two by Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque. This is, is, is my pick in part because I loved the first issue and I'm not a huge American Vampire person. I don't think I've read all the stories even. But the last issue introduced a great train robbery. It introduced all the characters and their different angles. And it seeded it all with an incredible monster threat that lives literally inside our Earth. So it all comes together in a really great way. The art uh, by Albuquerque and the color artist uh, Dave McCaig, who's also doing the colors on The Walking Dead, uh, the new re-releases, just exceptional colorist, and the book shows that through its atmospheric scenes. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Ch- uh, check that out. So, Forrest, what's your most anticipated book? My most anticipated book takes place in the grim, dark future. <laughs> Warhammer How 40K, far in the future? Is Calgar. Uh, approximately 40,000 years, uh, give or take some. Uh, Warhammer 40,000, Marnaeus Calgar, number two, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Jason Burroughs. We're going to get a better idea of how chaos has uh, infiltrated Marnaeus Calgar's home world. We're probably going to find out more about the Ultramarine recruitment process. We're going to get some more neat, grim storytelling and art from this creative team. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Also, I am required to write an article about it, so that's <laughs> so you have. I am invested. You are, yeah. You're 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 deep into it, especially given your history with Warhammer. Yes, big fan. Moving on to our next uh, segment, judging by the cover, <laughs> Junior, where we pick our favorite cover art out next week. I uh-huh. wonder what Forrest will pick. Warhammer Forty Thousand, Marnaeus Calgar <laughs> Number Two. Have you heard of it? Uh, this cover art Just is by did. James Stoko. I have to say, Stoko probably up there with regards to one of the top art one of my most personal favorite artists i think that they should have led with a stoko cover for for issue number one mm-hmm. um, but this second one is awesome it's so gritty and detailed this probably took him a really long time there's a really satisfying visual storytelling here the ultramarines are surrounded on all sides by the legions of chaos as marnaeus fires a shot down the center of the book a uh, center of the cover splitting various um chaos legion soldiers apart and it just really gives a good sense of the scope and the the scale of the atrocities and the violence in the warhammer 40,000 universe mm. Um, and also Stoko has clearly lovingly taken a lot of time to do this. Maybe they weren't able to do a Stoko as the artist because uh, on the book itself, because it just takes so long to render the 40k universe in the way that he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I was a huge fan of Alien Dead Orbit, his standalone Alien book. Yeah, and if if I want people to go out and buy Warhammer Forty Thousand. The comic from Marvel Comics, because I want James Stoko to be able to do a solo title sometime in the future. Oh my god, that'd be amazing! Yeah, I saw his wife uh, Marley Zarcone tweet on Saturday. Um, he's been working nonstop through the election, and 
and <laughs> she's like grateful to him because she would go to him and tell him what's going on with the election and he'd just keep working. His style is so detailed. I can't yeah. imagine how long it takes him to do this stuff. Yeah, I mean, and, and um, there's a very high quality image on previews. If you go to previews magazine for... 1111 and you can like zoom in on this and all and see all of the scratch detailing and shading wow. and stuff that he has done it's amazing yeah. i'm looking at it now that's really it's, cool. it's amazing this uh yeah this this if you go to aptcomics.com and look at the podcast post you can actually see it yourself in that post but yeah this is crazy i wonder how he starts it'd be amazing to see a um progress video of this of this cover specifically probably with marnius right yeah i would assume so that's the focal point. Mm. I wonder if he's got like a 40K action figure or something just to do posing and lighting and th those sorts of things. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's really good at that too. Uh, my favorite cover art is by, uh, it's a variant cover actually. It's by Jeffrey Vraggy for The Amazing Spider-Man number 52. This is one of the, um, uh, what is it? It's for the voices. Um, Indigenous voices. Indigenous voices, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's an amazing cover in part because it looks like stained glass. It's so cool how he's um, broken up all these pieces, these webs around Spider-Man, who's sort of posed in this um, almost, what would you say, like symbolic kind of pose, like he's like a, a spider god or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very, um, it's deified. Yeah, and I mean, there are really cool details, like on his, uh, the back of his hands, there are little spiders and the, the colors are all very bright and vibrant. It's just, it's, you've never seen anything like this. I, I, I want to see someone actually make a stained glass window of this. It looks so cool. I think it is uh, very textile-like as well. Hmm. A lot of quilt storytelling from indigenous right. peoples and stuff. And I think that this evokes that too. It's a kind of neat blending of a lot of different things because it's also got like the zip tone, the half tone. Yeah, the, the zip tone, and, you can see yeah. that on the blue. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's where you see like the textile elements too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. It's almost like, yeah, I wonder I wonder what uh, materials he used because it could be like paper even, maybe. Uh, maybe oh, yeah, not. could be. Anywho, that's the end of Judging by the Cover Jr. In our next segment, we'll be interviewing Ryan Parrott about Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers' new series at Boom Studios. Enjoy. On with us is Ryan Parrott. You are the writer of Mighty Morphin and... Power Rangers number one, both new series coming out in November from Boom Studios. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I mean, you've done a ton other work, of course, but these are the these are the hot the hot comics people want right now. Oh yeah, they're they're on they're the, the stands. Yeah, I know there's a lot of Power Rangers fans out there that you know have grown up with the show, but also new readers too. And you know, I, first of all, first and foremost, and I, I, you've probably seen it with our reviews at AIPTcomics.com, but we love your series. You've done great work so far. And now I just want to know, how far out have you plotted this duo series of Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers? Oh, that's a first time anybody's asked me that question. So now I have to oh, really? decide if I want to lie or not. Um, Do it. You could lie. <laughs> I can lie. No one will know. Um, no, I have, it, I have it pretty far plotted. I've started, heard this analogy before. It's like, I know where I'm going. Um mm -hmm. And I know kind of the land. If this was if this was a road trip, you know, and you're in the car with me, like I know where we're going, um, and I know the landmarks we want to hit, but I don't know exactly what the route is quite yet. 
Um, yeah. But I do sort of know the weird thing that always happens whenever I do any of these series is like you'll plot it and you'll get halfway through and then you'll discover what you could do next. And mm-hmm. so and then it's it's like the shiny new object and all you can think about is what you're going to do after the story you haven't already written. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a bit of a problem. But like I, I realized there was something I could do after this that I was like, oh, that would be interesting. So, yeah, so I'm I, I've got to make sure I get my eyes back on the road. But I plotted out, you know, I, I, a fair amount. I think I know how many issues this story is going to run. And I know how it's, you know, it's going to ultimately sort of coalesce. I have images, but I don't quite know the exact specifics of each issue yet. I can imagine that's a hell for a writer. If like, you're like, you know, let's say someone's really meticulous, like a Jonathan Hickman or something, and they've plotted out 90 issues and then they get to the 90th issue and they're like, Oh my God, I love this idea. And I want to write it right now. That could be terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I I think the the hardest thing sometimes is just to remind you, I, I think I'm, I'm a pretty, a pretty strong outliner. Uh, Like I, I, when I turn in my outlines, they're pretty lengthy. They have the beats just because when you're over on your own heavy, heavy deadlines, I feel Mm -hmm. like the, the the worst thing you can run into is when you're like, you're writing that fourth issue and it's, it's only a paragraph and a half of actual story. Now you got to generate it all on the page. That's when stuff can get a little wonky. So Mm -hmm. like, I, I find that like, if I know if everything, if I have it outlined pretty extensively, then when I actually go to the, the writing it, I can focus more on the moments because I'm not just trying to figure out the story. I gotta say, I love the idea of launching two new books at once and they do link two. And I don't know, it must be because of like, uh, what is that recency where you like, that's like a, a recent thing that's happened that you just immediately think of it. Like Dawn of X and House of X, Powers of X. I immediately thought of those things when I was reading the first two issues of this, uh, Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers number one, because like, it's a great idea to build in a, uh, you know, an interest from fans where you've got this bigger universe kind of growing. Was it always a plan of yours to do something like this? Um, not exactly. It, it, the way it worked out was, I think, you know, halfway through Necessary Evil, we realized that, like, we had, like, 47 characters in each issue that we had to service. <laughs> it was so many. Right. And I felt like it was just, like, it was a little unwieldy. And because you have that many characters, ultimately uh, – it's one of those things where you, when you end up serving all the characters, you end up serving none of the characters. Mm. And so I think we we realized halfway through that we need, if we were going to continue to follow the Omega storyline and the Power Ranger storyline, that, that we needed them to be able to get their own book so that I could spend time with the characters. Um, and so that was where it turned into a conversation about that. And it was actually, Boom was telling me that, you know, we'd love to do a Mighty Morphin and a Power Ranger and have it sort of be one universe. We, we felt like we spent the time. I mean, we have so many components that are just Boom related. You know, you have the... You have the uh, the coinless universe, and you have the Solar Rangers, and you have Beyond the Grid, and you have um, the Omega Rangers. You have all these teams. We've we've made a whole world out of this, out of these characters that are sort of separate and connected to the show. It's like let's 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 use it. Let's actually dig into mm. it. Let's slow the story down so it's not just about running to whatever happened next on the TV show, and actually settle it down and let these characters live in this world. And so that was where this all came from. Was just sort of like let's split the series and and just have two stories taking place in the same universe at the same time. So with Mighty Morphin already out, it opens with a key flashback from 10,000 years ago. Will this moment in time return or will we cut to this again? I'm I'm thinking probably so, but I loved this idea, especially since when I was little watching Power Rangers, like that concept of Zordon from the past is so cool. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was thinking, I literally had just said this in another interview. I was talking about this. I realized when I first saw the show at 14, I was like, who's this giant floating head? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, what was he like before he was like this? What, what's Eltar? Yeah. I didn't know. And what I didn't realize is I was asking myself in the future because I'm the one who has to answer that question uh... 25 years later. 
So that's <laughs> blow your mind crazy. Like, you know, it's yeah. like, just wait, man, you're gonna have to figure that out in a few years. Um, but no, I, I kind of felt like you guys, I, I was like, I always wanted to know more. It was always this sort of that thing that was sort of steeped in mystery. And then the show never seemed to really get on and get into it. And when they did, they only did it in sort of passing or these little snippets. So right. we just felt like, and we, I've been working on the book for so long. I was like, look, if we're going to do this and we're going to spread out this world, like, can I get into that? Can I dig into that a little bit? Cause I was like, I want to know what Zordon was like when he was the same age as the Power Rangers. Like, what's that right. guy like? We've only ever known him as sort of the guy who knows everything, right? He's this wise, he's, he's Professor X. He knows everything. He's wise. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, what was that guy like when he was 17 and knew nothing? And what was that, like, what 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 was Eltar? How did Eltar grow to become the Eltar that we, Eltar, you know? Like, I just, so I, I yeah. felt like there was something really fun about that. So, yes, we're, every issue we're going to, in Mighty Morphin, you're going to dig into a little bit of Eltar backstory and Zordon and sort of learn how he grew and who are the people that were important in his life and what Eltar stands for and what their goal was and all that stuff. So it's going to be an ongoing thing. I, I It's been one of my favorite parts of the book. Is that something you have free reign with, or does, do you have, does that have to get checked by... Hasbro or, or anyone else for oh, that yeah. matter? Hasbro has a very strong opinion about this. It was a long conversation. And I don't Interesting. I think if I hadn't been doing the book for three years or so, that they would yeah. I don't know if they're gonna let like if I just walked in and goes, Hey, I'm gonna tell your whole backstory. Then like <laughs> settle down, cowboy. Um, right. right. yeah, it's a long conversation. They read everything. We've had they we've been pitching stuff to them and telling them stuff. And so like they're very open to everything. I haven't I don't think they've told me they haven't said no yet, so which has been really nice. Will we potentially see any like flashbacks like that or or that mechanism of flashing back or flashing forward for that matter in Power Rangers? Um, yeah, I mean, I, the one thing that I really wanted to do with the two books is I wanted like I think that's, you know, when I was writing Necessary Evil, I was like there was a some it was such a it, it grew and got bigger and bigger and bigger and I felt like sometimes I was just trying to it was almost like I was writing the same book in two different issues like Gogo and Mighty Morphin were kind of similar in a lot of the structure and the arcs and all that stuff and I just felt like if we're gonna br- split the books up, like let's let's break them. I want them to feel like two different types of stories. So, mm-hmm. like for instance, I, I usually do four issue arcs, and but with with Power Rangers, some of them are two issues, some of them are one issue, some of them are three, and you know some of them bounce around in point of view. So I've been trying to be a little more fluid with Power Rangers. So there's definitely options for seeing. I wouldn't even say flash forward and flash back. I mean, I think there's just a lot of. I'm trying to play with the structure and the format in a lot of in a lot of more fun ways because because that's outside of continuity now, because it's not connected to the show, I can literally do anything with those characters. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the fun. And so I want to try and use that to explore the Power Rangers universe and explore future seasons of the show, but just through the lens of the Omega Rangers. Gotcha. For the layman out there who doesn't know anything about these two books, I'm not going to ask you for a pitch or whatever people ask. I'm going to ask you one word that defines each book. What would, what would be one word to define Mighty Morphin and one word for Power Rangers? Oh, man. This is like word association. I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, like flapjacks and elephant? No, that's not right. Um, <laughs> uh, and flapjacks is two words, so I already screwed it up. Um, I would say <laughs> Mighty Morphin is, um, man, like I would, I would say sort of a, um, okay. So I will say that thematically, I think Mighty Morphin is about responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and I would say that Power Rangers is about uh, growing up. Okay. Cool. I, I, th- I, without giving a pitch, like the thing that I liked about Power Rangers as I'm looking at it a little bit, like I looked at yeah. the early run as like being in high school, right? Like when I was in high mm-hmm. school, my, the whole idea for anyways, it was like being in high school. And I felt like when they left and became a mega Rangers, that was them going off to college. 
and they went mm-hmm. to college and now they're out of college. They're of their own. They don't have, you know, they're kind of coming back home. And so it's like, if you, I don't know if you went away for college, if you had friends, but when you come back from college, you run into those friends again that you grew up with. And it's like, you're still friends, but it's not quite the same. The dynamics aren't the same. Your relationships aren't the same. And also you come back and you see your parents and all of a sudden you realize that you like, you're a Democrat and they're a Republican or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> right. like a change over yeah. in the brain. And I feel like that's the fun that's the analogy I've been using with the Omega Rangers, the Power Rangers, and Zord of Zordon is like it's about that's 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 the dynamic between the three of them. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, that that brings me to my next question. You know, Power Rangers for for many is very nostalgic, um, and the words you chose kind of made me think. You know, you're writing, and don't let me pigeonhole you here. You tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you might be writing this for a younger audience, whereas you know, I'm in I'm I'm, I'm 37 years old, and you know, I grew up with Power Rangers when I was little. Are you writing for a particular audience? Of course, the answer is no. But <laughs> if, if you were to say, if there was like a main audience that you wanted to hit, and then there were ancillary audiences that were like spillover, would there be one? I think, I'm not aiming for like a particular age group. Um, but I yeah. will say like, I don't think that you, I think you can write uh, quote unquote adult storylines that are mature and emotionally grounded and the characters are, are fully formed. I think you can do that without navel gazing mm-hmm. and without mm. blood and sex and violence. Like, I think you can do both. I think you can have stuff that matters and have real stakes, but people can still make jokes. So right. the thing that I try to aim for is I try to aim for, I mean, the, the comp that I had for like my early days of Power Rangers was, was sort of the Buffy comp. You know, it was like they had real stakes, but the characters were funny and, and they had emotional arcs and stuff like that. So I was, that was the tone that I was sort of aiming for. And I feel like that's kind of where I've aimed for here. I, I like to keep the stuff. I want kids to be able to pick it up, but I also know that the vast majority of people who come to the Power Ranger comics are people who love the shows, grew up on the shows, and therefore probably a little bit older and want more sophisticated storylines um, that the show wasn't necessarily giving them when they were kids because it was a kid's show. It was designed for, you know, it was, it, especially the way that they made the show with the footage and all that stuff with sort of that amalgamated form, right? So, like, I try to right. aim for something that's a little bit in between. Um, I, you know, I try to make it funny, but I also try to have it be, you know, sort of, I, I, I try to deal with real world issues. I try to deal with real, you know, stakes and, and emotional consequences. And I try to make everybody even, you know, I, I've said this before, like I never actually intended to have bulk and skull in the, in the show, in the comic. And now yeah. that they're one of my favorite parts of it. I can't <laughs> imagine that I didn't do that because I feel like fleshing those two characters out and making them real people and not just, you know, tumbling bullies is one of the, is the, is what you can do when you take, popular genre work and try and look at it through like a modern day storytelling lens. Right. You know, with the craze, I don't know if it's a craze, probably more like people realized uh, with YA, like being such a huge part of sales and comics these days, is there a Power Rangers YA story inside of you? I mean, I think I've already been telling it. I definitely think yeah. like the Jason <laughs> Trini storyline was about as YA as I can get. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. Like I think, you know, half of, I mean, most of us define, our high school years by the person that we, you know, were in love with and didn't get or were in love with and they broke our heart or whatever. And I feel like that's just a part of, I mean, there was a girl that I went, I was with like four or five friends and there was a girl that was like, always hanging out with us. And I think all three of us dated her over the course of like 10 years, just because, <laughs> you know, th- not in any incestuous way, just that it was just, I said, yeah, yeah, we yeah. all knew her and the relationship, she had changed and we changed and pairing stuff. And so I always think that stuff's kind of fun. And, uh, I definitely want to, I definitely think that, you know, teen romance is just such a, 
it's just it's it's we can all identify with it. So yeah, definitely, I think right, we'll see a right. little bit more of that going forward. Are there any challenges writing a team book in space versus on Earth? I mean, yeah, thank yes, absolutely. It's something that I'm slowly learning right now. Is like <laughs> you don't have that the 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 in space there the storylines are completely insular. They're all about these three people, their relationship, and where they go. It's almost like writing a western because it's just mm-hmm. about these traveling group and where they go. Um, so you have to creep keep changing sort of the the supporting characters, which can be good, but it also can be difficult because like the great thing about you know, writing a story about people and teenagers at home is you have all the home relationships, you have the school relationships, you have pre-existing friends and family. And so you have all this innate drama that's already there. And I've discovered that in space, you know, you have to use the aliens and the, you know, passer buyers in the same way, but they don't have that pre-existing sort of drama. So you have to sort of create it more. So it's a little bit more, you find yourself relying a lot more on sort of the inner character dynamics than you normally would. Interesting. Since you're basically the architect of Power Rangers at Boom right now. Crazy. <laughs> do you have any goals in mind that you want to reach by a certain date, like next summer? Or I, And I'm not even talking about story arcs, just like maybe how fans might react or, or any personal goals as far as how many issues you get out, something, anything really um, that comes to mind. I never in a million years would have thought that I'd be like, how many issues, <laughs> like um, that I could end up being like the preeminent, like... How much at the guy who wrote the most Power Ranger comics? Like that's never. I was like, that's crazy. And now I'm like, well, yeah. maybe. I mean, yeah. Um, but I, I, one of the goals honestly was was the was the Eltar of it all. Like that was something that in my initial pitch I was like, you know, I would really love to dig into that. I think that would be something that I was always curious about. It'd be fun to dig into that. And there's a few things in the in the back of my head that are little checklist stuff that I thought would be fun. And you know, I've created enough of my own Zords now that I feel like I, you know, I got my own action figure. Like those things are kind of fun. Like the, just if yeah. I'm being selfish, um, right. there are some character stuff that I think I would, I, I think there were some characters in the story that I would like to get to certain places. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it would be really fun to try and find a character that we all love and, and care about and see if there's something to the idea of really re- like not revolutionizing them, but really changing who they are a little bit and seeing them not that sounds like I'm going to like turn him evil or anything. I don't mean that way. I just mean like, (laughs) I think one of the things I'd love to do is try to define some of the characters a little bit more specifically. I'd love to find, there's a, I was talking to Steve Cardenas, um, who played Rocky and he was telling me that when he first took over the the character role, they gave him a, a character sheet that was like, here's your story. And one of the things about it that was really cool was that he had like seven, his character, Rocky had like seven brothers and sisters that you never Mm -hmm. saw on the show. And I was like, what? And he was, I was like, and he was the oldest. I was like, wait a minute. I, that's an amazing element to the character that that was never in the show. And so I think stuff like that, I would love to be able to give them just deeper and richer lives and deeper. And so you understand why they are the way they are. That that would be Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. That would, those would be things I would love to try and get to. Nice. You know, it's interesting. I've seen this, this, uh, this, I don't know if you call it a theory, but an idea that, you, you have all these teenagers that are going through potentially traumatic experiences fighting and going into war. Uh, what would it be like if the series continued into their adult years? Is that something you're interested in capturing? I know it might not be part of the plan now, but seeing these characters not in their teens, but maybe in their 30s or 40s and dealing with the repercussions of PTSD of giant robots or... <laughs> 
creatures crashing into skyscrapers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about is the farther you play the stories out, when you start to deal with, like, the real-world stories of it all. There, there was an issue in GoGo that I really liked where, like, uh, Bulk and Skull kick a door open to go into class yeah. after a, a robot smash, like a robot battle, and one of the kids freaks out. And I got that storyline from, huh. from I, I was hearing that after school a school shooting that kids would drop books on the ground to scare yeah. the other classmates and i was wow. like wow that's dark um yeah but like i feel like that's the stuff that i've been trying to dig into so not necessarily maybe like 30 years down the line um but i definitely try to think about what it would actually be like if you and i lived in a world where at any moment a giant monster could show up and then a giant robot's gonna go and they're gonna fight in the middle of town and we could all watch from our look out the window and watch it like that would change not only everything about what we believe in, not only in, uh, but also who we are and how we do it. But weirdly enough, I think that what's really incredible about people, and which is also kind of scary, is this idea that we can we can adjust to anything. I mean, look at where right. we are right now. Could you, if I yeah. told you a year ago, we'd all be wearing masks. Like it's just, but now it's normal. It's we we create new normals, and I feel like that's the thing that I think is really interesting about the Power Rangers world is like, don't ignore that stuff. Don't pretend mm -hmm. like everybody's normal. Think about what the new normal would be. And I feel like those are things I really like to get into, yeah. Yeah, I, I keep, actually, it's funny you mentioned masks, because, like, I keep telling people, like, yeah, we're all adapting, and it's it doesn't seem that strange. But when things go back to normal, that's when we'll all have the moment of reflection and be like, oh, remember when we wore masks every time we went outside? Like, I, I, th I think that's what's, what's going on with trauma a lot of the time, right? Like, when you're in it, you can deal, but when upon reflection, uh, with time passing, you realize, oh my god, I just fought a giant robot in space. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you might, you may be just giving me a fantastic villain origin story about a post-traumatic ranger who looks at everything and goes, oh yeah, yeah. I mm. mean, that's just a really, it's a, that's a motivation of like, I don't want kids to ever have to deal with that again. Like, I don't want them to become right. what I did. That's a really cool mm. storyline. So, thank you. On this show, oh, wait, before I move on to, uh, we, we play a game on this show called Superfy. I wanted to ask one more question. Um, when it comes to Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers, is there, what would you, what would be your, you know, two, three sentence pitch to someone who may not have picked up Power Rangers ever? Like, what is the draw for someone who has no idea what this is about? Um, the way I have always pitched it was, imagine you were in high school and one day you got superpowers. And or so you and your best friends got superpowers, but you couldn't tell anybody. And you had literally the weight of, so you have to spend your days, you know, struggling with the real world problem. Like the thing that I always loved about the power, the power Rangers as kids is this idea that like at 17 and 18, it's the first time in your life where your, you, your response, you actually start to have decisions, you know, your, you, your grades matter where you go to college, what you want to do, those decisions. It's the first time you have to deal with real life responsibility. Now add on yeah. the fact that the world might end if you mess up. That's Power <laughs> Rangers to me. It's this concept of superhero, superpowers as a metaphor for responsibility. And, mm -hmm. and thank God you have your friends because your friends are the only ones around you who can even, who can, who can relate to this. Um, and right. that's the way I pitch it. Okay, so this is a game called Super Fight. It's actually a, a, a card game. It's a challenge deck. It's it's totally ridiculous and silly. I've had people on the show uh, determine whether or not Spider-Man is a better lumberjack than, I don't know, Morbius or whatever. <laughs> so I'm going to randomly pick a deck. But before we, uh, a card, but before I pick this card, I want to I wanna say we're going to have the Mighty Morphin team versus the Power Ranger team. And I'd love to know your thoughts on who would win at badminton. At badminton? Oh. That's right. 
Where, where, where does this badminton take place? It takes place in zero G or on Earth? Ooh, that is a really good question. I think you'd need gravity for badminton to work, right? Maybe, or because the yeah. it has to go up and down, kind of right, like the little, the little uh, feather thing on it. It's true. It's true. I guess that's a good point. Unless it was zero G and the net was circular, and you had. Anyways, I'm I've already broken. <laughs> um, I would say that I think that the Mighty Morphin team would probably beat the Omega Ranger team only because they outnumber them. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I like it. But they ha- they do they do the Kia and Ia sound every time they hit the badminton thing though. It was like yeah every single time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think I think the listeners can can imagine that right now. <laughs> totally. I wonder what it sounds like when it hits the little thingy. Um anyway, in our last segment, it's called Off Topic Top Shelf. I want to ask you something not comics related. We end every show this way for those fans that don't like comics <laughs> to the wait all the way to the end. To find out what you're into right now that's not comics related. Is there it could be anything from books to cooking to anything. What are you what are you uh, doing to pass the time? Ooh, um, what am I doing? Um this this conversation this question would have been way cooler like a year ago because I had way more things that were fun. <laughs> now I'm just like I play Dead by Daylight a lot. I really like that game. Um okay, cool, I, it's, cool. Yeah, it's a horror, it's a horror survival game. I really enjoy that game. Um and I played for hours at night and to my wife going, like, come on, dude, it's two in the morning. You know, you're going to, can you, Michael Myers can chase you tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I do that. Uh, I find, I finally learned how to cook. We, 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 our, our crock pot was dusty and now wow. we brought it out. And if you have not, if you have a crock pot in your home and you have not used it, you are missing out, man. Just put some mm-hmm. chicken in there, pour some sauce on it with a little bit of some black beans and, and corn and run it for six hours and you will thank me later. It's called salsa chicken. It's the best thing ever. Yeah, working from home, like the crock pot is key, it right? Because then you can, it's almost like you don't have to waste money on uh, takeout, but the food's ready at dinner. Yeah. And the great <laughs> thing is, right around like the four hour mark, you start to smell it and you're like, oh, mm. I have dinner mm-hmm. coming. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the nice thing about this whole thing is I was like, I've, I've learned how to finally like eat like an adult. We have more than three, we have more than an empty bag of Oreos and Funyuns in our, in our um, pantry now. <laughs> that's, that's key. Yeah, that's good. Well, Ryan Parrott, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Mighty Morphin number one's already out. Uh, that came out November 4th, and Power Rangers number one comes out November 11th. Wow. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.